Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. One of the biggest political stories of the week was that of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo resigning. After a report indicating he harassed 11 women, an ongoing impeachment probe, and numerous calls for him to step down, he finally said he was going to step away. Taking his place will be Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, and she'll become the first female governor of New York. She has already tried to distance herself, and she also said that she will be running for re-election in 2022. For more on Cuomo's resignation and a look at some of the other corruption in New York state politics, we'll speak to Philip Bump, national correspondent at The Washington Post. I mean, it was sort of surprising just because it's not really, I mean, for all of the bluster that Cuomo has about, you know, what kind of a fighter he is and so on and so forth. I mean, he really is a pretty pugnacious guy. And so it really, I think it was probably safe to assume that he would fight this more than he actually did, that he didn't came as something of a surprise. You know, I mean, he went down fighting. He actually, his announcement was preceded by a lengthy press conference from his personal attorney, who uh, once again tried to undercut some of the allegations against him. And then in his speech itself, he similarly tried to attack the entire thing as being political. But then he ended up stepping away. And so New York, in two weeks' time, will have a new governor. The beginning of the press conference, it sounded like he was staying and fighting, saying, He thought it was political in nature. Some of the allegations are wrong. You know, I never uh, meant to do that or or bother them as much as I did, things like that. So it kind of halfway through, you still it still felt like, man, he's going to fight this thing. But then he came down with the big news. He said he didn't want to waste energy on distractions. And that's what government shouldn't be doing. That's why he decided to step down. It's a curious decision. He's been pretty good at managing the New York State Assembly and Senate to do what he wants, given the constraints of obviously partisanship uh, over the course of his uh, governorship. Uh, I mean, there have been some really weird moments over the course of the time that he's been chief executive, including his sort of tacitly supporting Republican control of the state Senate for a while because it gave him more leverage as governor. I mean, there there are a lot of ways in which he really worked the New York State political system to his advantage. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that for a lot of people have been watching for a long time, there was sort of this assumption that he might try and figure out a way to wriggle out of this as well. And I think that that, to some extent, is a sign of how damaging he understood this to be, which, to be very clear, it was very damaging. Right. You know, he didn't have good responses for a lot of the allegations made against him. So in two weeks, he'll be gone. He's going to be replaced by Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, who will be New York's first female governor in just an interesting set of circumstances, right? He gets ousted right. because of uh, harassing women and then enters the first female governor. What do we know about her? Uh, you mentioned in one of your pieces that just like many other lieutenant governors, people don't know much about them. So Kathy Hochul, I'm, I'm actually from Rochester, which is in western New York, and she's from Buffalo. So there's sort of an affinity that I'm very excited. There's a western New Yorker who's going to be running the state here after all. But Kathy Hochul is a relatively conservative Democrat. She actually first made her name in state politics by being a more moderate sort of Democrat. Uh, one of the reasons that Cuomo actually tapped to be his lieutenant governor running mate was because she wasn't hard left, because she was a more moderate choice. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the lieutenant governor in the state of New York doesn't do a whole lot. So it'll be sort of interesting to see how her politics uh, look once she actually steps into that role. 
you know, I think it's really important to note that the history of recent governors and independent governors in the state is really grim. There's a lot of corruption in New York state politics. And I think one of the things that there should be some pressure on Hochul to actually address is that sort of corruption. Cuomo himself pledged to address it and then ended up having corruption allegations about his handling of the corruption investigation. So, I mean, that's just how New York is. But I think that will be one of her tests to figure out how to actually clean up uh, the mess that is New York state politics. Yeah, she's going to serve out the rest of his term. That's going to go all the way to the midterm election. So November 2022 is when uh, that election will come up again. But tell me a little bit more about some of that recent corruption we've seen in New York. You know, we had Elliot Spitzer. We had a bunch of people be all leading up into Cuomo. You know, that there was problems all throughout. I'll do it as quickly as I can. So Elliot Spitzer resigned after allegedly paying women. I guess it was confirmed paying women for sex. He had been the attorney general. One of the people who replaced him as attorney general was uh, Andrew Cuomo. The person who replaced Andrew Cuomo as attorney general was Eric Schneiderman, who resigned in the midst of Me Too for his behavior towards women. Spitzer, when he resigned, was replaced by David Patterson. David Patterson had four lieutenant governors, all of whom were indicted for corruption or theft or embezzlement or fraud charges. Uh, his fifth one actually managed to stick around. Patterson himself won to seek re-election, but didn't because of corruption allegations. He ended up having a fine. And then, of course, he was replaced by Cuomo, who now is resigning in disgrace. That's literally the past three governors. <laughs> so, you know, this is, I mean, it's, you know, sorry, Illinois, but you've got competition. Yeah. I mean, so it's like I said, <laughs> this has been the pattern leading up to Cuomo. As you mentioned, it was on him to kind of change that. And obviously he comes from a big uh, political history with his father as well. So let's see what uh, Kathy Hochul can do. It's an inflection point right now, really. You know, things can change. But, uh, I, you know, I'm assuming a lot of the agenda that's been set by Cuomo would still remain, If it would seem like. Yeah, I mean, Cuomo did do a number of things that New Yorkers liked. I mean, he still does get pretty good marks on his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, honestly, before his speech today, I assumed he was going to come out and make some sort of announcement about how the pandemic was getting worse and in order to try and scare people into changing horses midstream. Obviously, that's not what happened. But, you know, there are things that Hochul will try and do to continue Cuomo's administration where he has been relatively successful and or gotten good marks. But again, it's a black box. You know, I mean, literally seven in 10 New Yorkers say they don't have an opinion of her. So she can really define herself. Uh, and it'll be interesting to watch how she chooses to do that. Philip Bump, national correspondent at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. You bet. Thanks. In coronavirus news, the FDA is moving to authorize booster shots for those that are immunocompromised. Those that have had organ transplants, live with HIV, or take certain cancer medications would be in the group allowed to get booster shots. This would be a shift in the American vaccination strategy as the Delta variant surges across the country and we see other countries also approve boosters. Studies have shown that a third vaccine dose can trigger a more robust immune response in those with weaker immune systems. For more on all this, we'll speak to John Rockoff health business editor at The Wall Street Journal. The whole point of the vaccination campaign is to protect individuals and their friends and families and other folks against COVID-19, right? And the vaccines work by mobilizing your immune defenses against the coronavirus. But it turns out the vaccines don't work very well in people with weak immune systems. Even if they get the two doses of the Pfizer or the Moderna shots, they don't get the same level of protection a healthy person like you or I get. So a lot of doctors and public health experts and health authorities have been talking about whether 
we should give these folks with these weaker immune systems another dose to try and get them to the kind of protection that healthy folks get. And it's taken a while, but from what we are hearing, the FDA is expected to move soon to authorize this extra dose for these immunocompromised people. Right now, about 2.7% of Americans are immunocompromised. As I said, people that gotten transplants, some that live with HIV, cancer treatments, all that stuff. But tell me a little bit about some of the data that we've been seeing, because there have been some studies showing that, you know, some people aren't producing the antibodies, but then that third shot really does help kick their immune system into gear. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we can sort of assess how well the vaccines are protecting people by measuring the immune response to the vaccine. And one of the measures that we use is the level of antibodies and specifically neutralizing antibodies that get produced after you're vaccinated. I mean, the immune system is really complicated and it involves more than just the antibodies, but that's a pretty good indication of how well the vaccines work. And what studies have found is that the antibody levels generated by the two doses of these Pfizer and Moderna vaccines aren't as high in people who have weak immune systems as they are in people who are healthy and have healthy immune systems. And what some studies have shown, and what we had heard was the FDA was very keen on a study that Moderna did looking at what kind of impact a third dose of the Moderna vaccine had on immunocompromised people. With that and some other studies found was that if you give folks who have weak immune systems this third dose, they're actually getting much better antibody levels and therefore we think protection against severe COVID. And everybody wants that, especially for immunocompromised people, because they are especially vulnerable to severe COVID and to transmitting the disease to other folks, including household contacts. Some of the studies that we're looking at were from Moderna. Do we know if if that's where the booster shots are going to be coming from, Pfizer and Moderna? You know, I know Johnson & Johnson has had their kind of whole other roller coaster going on with, mm-hmm. with, their, with their vaccine, but it seems like it's going to be these mRNA vaccines that are going to be providing the boosters. You're totally right, Oscar. I mean, we'll have to wait and see what the FDA actually decides. But what we're hearing is that the agency would authorize giving a third dose of one of the mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine or the Moderna vaccine, to folks. Now, Johnson & Johnson, unlike the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, is, is that's just one dose. And Johnson & Johnson is conducting a study to look at what kind of impact it would have on the antibody and other immune response levels if folks got a second dose. And Johnson & Johnson um, has indicated that they might have that data later this month. And all of this is, uh, you know, we're still waiting too for the FDA, FDA to grant full approval to the Pfizer vaccine. You know, a lot of people have said that a lot of stuff is going to change. We'll see more mandates, things like that. And even for doctors, uh, at that point, I know Pfizer and Moderna are, are asking for booster shots for normal people as well. So things are going to start changing a lot on all of that front once we get full approval for these vaccines. That's right. Yeah, Oscar, you're totally right on. And something I wanted to mention is that this might be the start of some serious change in our vaccination strategy and how public health thinks about vaccination. 
at the start of this year, we were just thankful to have vaccines. And we thought if we could get people fully vaccinated, if folks could get the two doses of the messenger RNA vaccines or one dose of the J&J vaccine, that would hold us firm. And what this pandemic and the Delta variant in particular have shown is that it really isn't enough, especially because not enough people got vaccinated. And so we're seeing this shift now where we're contemplating adding on a booster shot, not just for immunocompromised people, but for perhaps for the broader population. And then we're looking at full approval of these vaccines as opposed to just the authorization for emergency use, which is kind of a provisional designation. A lot of employers and the military have been waiting for a full approval before mandating vaccinations for their employees. So that could really have a big impact. And we could see a fairly serious change in how we approach vaccinations in a couple of weeks. John Rockoff, health business editor at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Oscar. Take care. This week, we also got some bad news about putting astronauts on the moon. Through its Artemis program, NASA was planning to send astronauts to the moon by 2024. According to a new report, that's not going to happen. Among other challenges, the spacesuits to be used to walk on the moon won't be ready until 2025. And even when they are completed, we will only have two flight-ready suits at a cost of over $1 billion. For more on all these NASA delays, we'll speak to Christian Davenport, space reporter at the Washington Post. It's one of the most overlooked uh, parts of the program, right? When you think about going to the moon, you got to think about the rocket that's going to get get you there and uh, all the technical challenges of getting human beings off the surface of the Earth and all the way to the moon, some 240,000 miles away. You think about the spacecraft, you think about the landers and touching down, but overlooked are the spacesuits, which are vitally important because those spacesuits, just remember, think about uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the surface of the moon, those big bulky spacesuits that protect the astronauts against radiation. There's cooling, there's heating, there's communication. They're almost like mini spaceships of their own out there in space. Obviously, the astronauts on the International Space Station, when they go out on a spacewalk, wear them. And so they're really hard and they're really difficult. And what this report from the inspector general shows is that NASA has really struggled with these. And uh, there could be a significant delay in their plans to get back to the moon just because of the spacesuits themselves. They said that the spacesuits could cost more than one billion when all is said and done. And they're only going to produce just two flight ready spacesuits. So we're only getting two. It's not like we're getting a whole pack of them, let's say. So I have to ask the simple question, obviously, and, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit. Why can't we just use the old suits? It seems that they've hit their expiration dates. That's it. I mean, the the suits that they had are now, NASA says, like 25 years past their expected lifetime. So it's long overdue that NASA get new upgraded spacesuits. And they do want to improve a lot of the technology, allow them to have much more mobility, particularly in sort of, you know, the torso and in the lower area. If you remember the NASA astronauts, they sort of bunny hopped on the lunar surface and it's really hard for them to kneel and to pick up a rock, for example. They want to make it much easier and then let the astronauts be much more mobile, have better communication system, have better life support system, even have, a, you know, sort of a Wi-Fi enabled spacesuit you know, just sort of a next generation spacesuit, that this is a, a new effort, Artemis, to go to the moon, to, you know, follow on to Apollo, and they want that sort of next generation spacesuit to go along with it. But it's been very difficult. And yeah, the billion dollars, that's a lot of research and development 
and testing out. It does produce some test garments, some test spacesuits, including one demonstration spacesuit uh, that would be flown to the International Space Station and then worn there, plus the two flight-ready suits that presumably would be used on the moon. Just continuing on with this, I mean, they need the new spacesuits. The Artemis program is not just the one-time moon mission. They're going to have some multiple missions and, you know, obviously beyond that. So they need to work on this. They've been working on them for 14 years, NASA has been, and they're doing this in-house. They're developing them in-house, but parts for the suits, they're using 27 different contractors really to put it all together. So there's a lot that goes into it, obviously. One of the uh, things that I have to mention because... You can't really mention space without talking about Elon Musk and SpaceX right now. I think on Twitter, he chimed in, said, hey, if SpaceX needs to step in and make the suits, you know, we can do that. And SpaceX is they're the ones who right now are the, the they provide the ride for NASA's astronauts to the International Space Station. And SpaceX has done three human spaceflight missions for NASA, getting the astronauts there. The spacesuits that the astronauts wear inside of SpaceX's Dragon spacecraft, uh, NASA's design. Now, these are different spacesuits. I mean, you, you wouldn't go outside the spacecraft in these suits, but they are good for flight and they're, they're pressurized. So they at least have some experience in this realm. Um, you know, at this point, I don't think NASA is going to take Elon up on his offer. They've already spent hundreds of millions of dollars on their own program and are well underway. But then again, you never know. Elon may just go off and build his own spacesuit. <laughs> right. So what does all this do to the Artemis program as a whole? Obviously, it's not good that the timetable is thrown off, but are there any other uh, things that can impact this negatively? I mean, I think NASA said themselves that a lot of this has to do with funding, obviously some pandemic bottlenecks, things like that. That's always a reason, but a lot of it has to do with funding. So delaying this a year, I mean, how much of, it, uh, of an impact is this really? The fact of the matter is, I don't think anyone who is following this closely actually thought that NASA was going to ever meet its 2024 deadline to return astronauts to the surface of the moon. That was just really a goal they had, but, you know, it was aspirational. It was to give the program a sense of urgency. But in reality, no one thought they were ever going to be able to make it. And what the spacesuit, you know, these issues, it just sort of shows how difficult this is, how expensive it is, even though we had you know, done it before in the Apollo program in the 1960s. And it's yet another hurdle that NASA is going to have to overcome. I mean, they've had problems with their space launch system rocket. That's the massive rocket that would hoist the Orion spacecraft to lunar orbit. The Orion spacecraft has had problems. In April, talking about Elon Musk and SpaceX, NASA awarded SpaceX a $3 billion contract to build the spacecraft that would actually take the astronauts to and from the lunar surface that would get them down to the lunar surface. But Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin has filed a protest saying, oh, no, that contract was awarded in error and that held things up for many months. And so it's moving ahead, but it's moving ahead, you know, uh, you know, sort of in fits and starts. Yeah. And the spacesuits are just another example of that. Christian Davenport, space reporter at The Washington Post and author of The Space Barons. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.